We are in a message series that we call Hearing from the King of Kings and the Music of the King of Pop. And just to be clear, this is not a message series about Michael Jackson. No matter what the buzz is out there in the community, this is a message series not about Michael Jackson, but it is instead focused on God, the King of Kings, and what he says in his word, the Bible, that Michael Jackson also happened to sing about all throughout his very storied career. And also just to sort of head off any other misunderstanding, a message series like this, just so we're all clear, is not in any way a tactic designed to boost weekend service attendance uh, at Journey Church. It is not a tactic just to get more people in the door. A tactic would be, uh, I don't know, something like advertising that we're giving away free iPods for the first 50 people who show up and so on and so forth, like door prizes or something. Though that is a tactic. Instead, this is a series that demonstrates how the Bible practically engages with our culture. In this case, it's all about how the Bible practically engages with pop culture through the music of Michael Jackson. And lots of us, lots and lots of us who are in the church, we have this view on life that is very bifurcated. There's a word for you, bifurcated. It's divided, where over here I have my secular life, my work life and my hobby life and my interest life and my relationship life. And then over here, there's this wall here. I have my quote, over here is my, my sacred life, right? Or my secular life. And over here I have my sacred life, my relationship with God, my relationship with the church and so on. And lots and lots of us in the church, we hold to this view that says, nary shall those two worlds sacred and secular, sacred and secular, nary shall they ever meet. Nary shall they ever meet. But that's not in any way how God has designed us to live. Nor is that how he made us to function as people and especially as his followers. God didn't design us to live bifurcated lives, secular and sacred. Instead, he said, look, love me. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. All of you, your whole being is to be fully engaged, fully integrated in loving God and following him. While at the same time, we're living in a world that uh, is not at all about God. And there's an understatement, if there ever was one. And so series like this one sort of messes with us and those secular and sacred divisions that so many of us have drawn and live in, even though that's not in any way how God intended for us to live. And then there's this other level to a message series like this one. Now, I've talked to you before that this will never be the church. This is not the church. We're not the pastors. We're not the leaders who are going to tell you what music you ought to be listening to, what movies you ought to be watching, and what TV shows you ought to be watching, and vice versa, for that matter, which music not to listen to, and which movies not to see, and which TV shows not to watch. That's not us. We think, as a matter of fact, that that's a generally ineffective approach to helping any of us differentiate and learn how to differentiate what entertainment options we choose to ingest and which ones we don't choose to ingest. Well, why, why is that? Why won't you just do that? Just tell us. No, no, we don't think that way. Why? Well, because pastors or leaders from around here, your mentor, your small group leader, are not going to be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as you're deciding and choosing what media you're going to take in. I do not want any of us ever thinking, I wonder what Brian would think about me watching this movie. I wonder what Pastor Sam Summers would think if he knew I was listening to this song. I wonder what Michelle Oaklander, my biblical discipler, would think about me taking in this television. I don't want that. We don't want that. 
Instead, we would rather have a level of equipping taking place that we're working to accomplish biblical skills of discernment and wisdom, hardwiring those into our beings so that they're a regular and habitual part of our everyday life. So that when you hear any song or when you see any movie or when you see any television show, you've cultivated in your soul a pinprick sensitivity to the Holy Spirit as well as a set of skills that help you run the lyrics and the themes and the portrayals through the grid of how does that that I'm hearing, watching, seeing, how does that square with God's word? How does it square with what I know God to say in the Bible? And it either does or it doesn't, right? And then you have a category in which to place it, whatever it is, music, movie, TV, so on and so forth. Uh, A category beyond just, it's bad and you should avoid it, right? But you actually have a reason. Well, here's why it isn't beneficial. There's a skill set around wisdom and discernment that is built into a series like this that we're hoping to raise the water level of across our whole community so that you can run stuff like the music of Michael Jackson through the grid of the scripture for discerning how it squares or doesn't square with the Bible. Now let's press in today about the subject matter at hand and let's talk about burdens if we could. Show of hands, a moment of transparency and honesty, if you would, in front of all of us. How many of you would say that as you walk in here today, that you're carrying with you at some level a burden? Just lift your hand and say, yep, I'm carrying, yeah, mm-hmm. Lots of us, I've got two hands up, actually, <laughs> right? A Webster's Dictionary defines burden as something oppressive or worrisome. Something oppressive or worrisome, and that is absolutely true about burdens. All of us who raised our hands, that's exactly what we feel. Worry and oppression from this burden that we're bearing. And as we all know, as demonstrated by all the hands lifted, burdens are something that are completely universal to the human race. We all have burdens. While not all of us are wealthy, we all have burdens. Not all of us have health, but we all have burdens. Not all of us have talents, but we all have burdens. The human race has a few things in common, and one of those things is burdens. We all have them. We all carry them. They're a common feature of the whole of the human family. But what is also true is that not all of us are carrying the same burdens. We all carry different burdens, don't we? If you know much about Michael Jackson, you know that he carried some quite heavy burdens, didn't he? For example, he carried upon his shoulders the burden of incredible talent, and some of us are going like, what kind of burden is that? That's no burden. Who, won, who wouldn't want the burden of talent that Michael Jackson had? But my guess is when we say stuff like that, we're thinking only of the upsides of having that level of a burden of talent. The adoration, the recognition, the fame, the financial benefits, all of that, of super talent, right? Who wouldn't want that? We're like, sign me up, bring it on, Right? But talent at the level that Michael Jackson carried it is no picnic, believe me. He, in his very own words, talks about the times when he was a child, young child, and he would go with his father Joe and the rest of the Jackson 5 to the Motown Records recording studio to record, and right across the street from the studio was a park where kids were always playing and running and being cheered on by like normal-sized crowds of loving fans as they played basketball, soccer, baseball, football. And there was Michael around age eight or so, and he's going into the studio to go to work. Rigorous work, not easy work. 
And Michael said as the family would pull up to the studio very often, he would see the very, at age eight and even younger, the very sharp contrast between his life and the life that, quote, normal children lived. And he said very often as they would pull up, he would just cover up his face and cry, sad about missing out on what it is to be a kid. That is a burden, isn't it? Jackson carried other burdens beyond just his super talent. For example, Michael's father, Joe, he, in my opinion, was the very definition of burden via the oppressive culture he inflicted upon all of his kids as he drove them toward further and further and further fame and success. Did you know that as the Jackson 5 rehearsed, Joe, dad, would sit in a chair with a leather belt in his hand, and if any of his kids missed a note, missed a step, and I quote Michael, he would tear you up if you missed a step. If you didn't get it, he would tear you up. He'd really get you with that belt. You talk about a burden. The Jackson children all talk about how nervous they were whenever they were around their father because he was, in their words, so tough. Talk about a burden. Michael talks about the times when he was a very young boy when his dad would throw him up against the wall as hard as he could and beat him with whatever was in sight. He remembers the cries of his mom as that was happening to him. Stop it, Joe, stop it, Joe. You're gonna kill him. Thankfully, Michael said, I was fast and I could outrun dad most of the time, but I always had to come home. And when I came home or when dad caught me, it was bad, real bad. He said, burdens. Michael's father also said horrible things like, man, your nose is fat. You didn't get that nose from me. And we wonder why the guy spent his entire life messing with the appearance of his nose changing the appearance of his nose. When your own father tells you how fat and ugly your nose is, that's a burden that sticks with you that you just don't unload, do you? Another time in the midst of adolescence and all of its accompanying awkwardness, Michael's face was riddled with pimples and the Jackson family was traveling through an airport on their way to another show and a woman recognized Michael's older brothers and she was saying while sort of looking down about this level, where's little Michael? Where's little Michael? And another woman said, well, there he is because he wasn't so little anymore. And so this woman looked up and she caught Michael's eye and looked at his face and she said, Ah, what happened? Ah, what happened? As if she were frightened by his appearance. And Michael said, I just wanted to lay down and die right there in that airport. You talk about burdens. And what's absolutely true is that in every person's life, all of us, in one sense, are separated and isolated and segregated and quarantined from other people in their life, right? Dr. Funk of Funk and Wagnall's Dictionary fame, he compiled an entire list one time of the saddest words in the English language. And you know what word is number one on the list? It's the word alone. The word alone. The saddest word in the English language. And it doesn't matter if your burden is your super talent that caused you to miss out on your childhood or an abusive and oppressive father who you cowered in fear from, a father who mocked your physical appearance, sickness, unemployment, loss of a loved one, loneliness, rejection, etc. The question that we are all, every single one of us, especially those of us who raised our hands here today, the question that we're all asking is, am I, am I going to have to shoulder this burden all alone? 
Am I gonna have to carry this all by myself for my whole life? Or is there gonna be someone else who comes alongside and helps me? Is there gonna be somebody who shares and bears this burden with me? Is there anyone? Or is it just me? That's the very same question that Michael Jackson so eloquently asks in his song. Will you be there? Listen to this if you would.
hold me like the river Jordan, and I will then say to thee, you are my friend. Carry me like you are my brother. Love me like a mother. Would you be there? Tell me, will you hold me? When wrong, will you scold me? When lost, will you find me? Everyone's taking control of me. Seems that the world's got a role for me. I'm so confused. Will you show me? You'll be there for me and care enough to bear me. Will you be there? And so you see, there's a problem, isn't there, that causes us the burdens, that causes us to ask the question, will you be there? Will I have to shoulder this load all alone? Will I have to carry this all by myself? And the problem is that stuff happens, isn't it? Stuff happens. Life happens. Tragedy, for instance, strikes. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, it struck in Haiti, didn't it? Disaster. Tragedy strikes. Maybe it's cancer or a layoff or death or divorce or a market downturn or an affair. Whatever it is that causes us to carry the burden that you're carrying right now that you raised your hand and said, I've got one, it happens. Stuff happens. Life happens. And we typically think of burdens as things like sickness, unemployment, loss of a loved one, loneliness, rejection, etc. And we often think, most often think of those who bear those burdens as the victims of what happened to them, right? That's how we think about it. And that, in my view, is a correct analysis. It's right. But I think there's slightly more to this concept of burden than just those things. If you've got a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to hang out in verses 1 and 2 of Galatians 6 for the rest of our time together. Galatians chapter 6, you can follow along on the screens if you'd like. Dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Burden, then, according to Paul, he's the guy who wrote this letter to the church at a place called Galatia. That's all the book of Galatians in the Bible is, by the way. It's a letter from a pastor. It's a letter from a church leader to the church in a city, in a community called Galatia. And Paul stretches this word burden beyond just what we consider to be, quote, tragic circumstances and actually reaches with the definition of burden all the way to the level of the sin that we intentionally step into, the sin that we commit. It's a burden. The sin we commit is a burden. So you see then, while at one level, a burden is something that is heaped on us, something happens to us, we're a victim of this thing that happens, and then at a whole other level, a burden is some sin that we intentionally engage in, and thus is something that we heap onto ourselves. And we know that to be true, don't we? Because we've all done it. We've all stepped into sin and felt the accompanying weight, the accompanying burden, right? Let me just pick a sin that's more common than I wish it were to illustrate this for you. Let's talk for a moment about adultery, cheating on the one to whom you pledged your love and loyalty until your death. Just imagine a married couple, they're fully engaged in life, they have jobs, they have kids, they have obligations, their plate is very full, perhaps even too full, and one of the parties in the marriage, husband or wife, 
feels like some need isn't being met or fulfilled by the other party in the marriage, and it sure looks to them like this other person, whether it, it be a coworker or somebody from school or maybe from across the street or maybe an old fling from high school, it sure looks to them like this person could very easily satisfy and meet that need for them. And so they, quote, do the deal. They step outside of their marriage vows, and it might be emotionally, whatever that means, and it might be emotionally and sexually, and they commit the sin of adultery. There it is. It has been done. And then, as very often happens, the person who chose to step outside of the vows of their marriage, they freak out. And they say, what in the H-E double hockey sticks have I done? (laughs) And they freak out. And they don't know where they go. And so they land perhaps in a counselor's office or perhaps a therapist's office or perhaps uh, in the office of a member of our biblical discipleship team. And one of those people, whether it be counselor, therapist, or biblical discipler, pastor, person, echoes their question, what have you done? As if life wasn't already burdensome enough, as if the load that you were carrying wasn't already heavy enough, as if life wasn't already complicated enough, you've gone and added this burden to your already very burdensome existence. You're right. Some burdens happen to you, heaped upon you. You are a victim of it, but other burdens we do to ourselves. We choose it, we decide, we step off of the right path and pile the burden on. Adultery is just one of those amongst a very long list of others. And so perhaps a more accurate definition, at least for our purposes, is, and I'm really sorry for putting this so far down in your notes page. It should be right here, but I rearranged the message. You're going to have to flip it over to find the definition. Other side, sorry, my bad. Anything, here's a burden, anything that threatens, watch this, to steal the joy of our faith. Anything that threatens to steal the joy of our faith, whether a tragedy that causes us to doubt God's goodness or sin that introduces damage into our relationship with God, and then if you want to add it on there, and our relationship with others, you could add that on there. Or sin that introduces damage into our relationship with God and other people. And because the word sin is in there, I want to ask your permission to at least attempt to bend your paradigm on what exactly sin is, if I could. See, most of the time, when we use this word sin, we use it to define a particular act that causes us to, quote, miss the mark, as we often say, right? You've probably all heard that. Meaning that sin is a, quote, wrong act that causes us to, quote, miss the mark of God's perfection and God's holiness and so on, like adultery, for example. And at one level, that's absolutely true. Sin can be boiled down, yes, into individual acts that run counter to the will of God. But at a whole other level, the Apostle Paul, all throughout his other writings throughout the New Testament, when he reflects, when he thinks on, when he writes on the nature of sin, he does not portray sin as just a series of individual acts that run counter to the will of God. I called my spouse a name. I yelled at my kids. I told my uh, son his nose was fat and ugly. I viewed pornography, etc., etc. Instead, Paul portrays sin watch this, as a relational problem. Sin is a relational problem with God and with other people, right? Sin isn't then just a series of individual acts that run counter to the will of God that we commit in the course of a day. 
But instead, watch this. Sin is a general disposition of hostility toward God and God's people. It's a refusal to honor God as God. This general disposition of hostility towards God. And you know what that is because you feel it, because you carry it with you. More than just individual acts, it's this whole disposition of hostility toward God, toward other people, out of then which comes individual acts, sin, that run counter to the will and intention of God. And in Galatians 6.1, Paul says, burdens do not just happen to us. Much of the time, we decide, we choose the burden by stepping into sin, which takes us off of the right path. And so when we, who are followers of Jesus Christ, when we see a brother, sister, man, or woman who has stepped off of the right path and has chosen the burden of sin, what are we to do? What then are we to do? Paul tells us, here it is. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, circle those words, help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That means the community of faith to which that person belongs, whether it's a small group or a church or a Bible study or whatever it is, are to take it upon ourselves to restore, write that word down, restore that person because that's the goal, restoration. And restoration is just one of the ways that the family of God expresses love one to another. So we have this problem, right? Stuff happens. Some of the problem is that we choose to step into sin ourselves and then there's this principle that Paul employs here and it's very simply to love one another. The principle is Love one another. And one of the ways the family of God demonstrates love one to another is through this process of restoration, restoring people who have stepped off of the right path. And Paul tells us, look, it is of immense importance that we be all about this business of restoring people and helping them back onto the right path. But notice that Paul makes a way bigger deal out of how we do that than just that we do it. Two words he uses that I told you to circle, gently and humbly. Do it gently and humbly. We are to very gently and very humbly help our brothers and sisters back onto the right path. And I've seen it over and over and over again, 19 years serving in the church where people knew, brothers and sisters knew they were supposed to help their brother and sister back onto the right path, but they forgot all about the humbly and gently bit. They took a machine gun to a meeting with someone where a box of Kleenex would have been much more appropriate. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've felt it. Maybe you've been the victim of it. Some brothers or sisters in Christ thought they were with their machine gun, just going to blast you back onto the right path. I heard about a small group the other day that was trying very hard to work some restoration process with a member of their group, just like 
Paul talks about. This person had intentionally stepped into the burden of sin, stepped off of the right path, and someone from that group recounted for me just a few of the absolutely horrible things that were said to the person that they were trying to restore, names that they were calling them, names that I can't repeat from this platform, things that were said in anger and frustration toward that person, all in a vain attempt to help bring that person back onto the right path. And I'm listening to this story, and I, w I ask the question now, what exactly were you trying to accomplish with this person? Uh, you must not have wanted them to be a part of your life or your group anymore. You must have been trying to, like, run them off. The restoration session was an abysmal failure. Gentleness and humility are absolutely crucial if we ever hope to restore our brothers and sisters to the right path. A box of Kleenex, not a machine gun. Gently and humbly. And then Paul lays out for us what is actually the main point of this five-verse section, verse 2, Galatians 6-2. And this is where the rubber meets the road again. Share each other's burdens. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Paul says, look, you brothers and sisters who have Christ in your heart, be all about the business of taking on and sharing the burdens of others. When you see a brother or sister who is weighed down by some burden, whether it be a burden that happened to them that they're a victim of or a burden that they stepped into, don't just let them carry that all by themselves. Do something. Don't just sit there, stand there, and do nothing. Do something. Do not let them be crushed under that load. Be alert and help them. Make their load lighter. Answer the question that they're asking. Will someone help me shoulder this load? Will someone help me carry this load? And answer that question in the absolute affirmative. I'm with you, absolutely. I'll be there for you. We get the question a lot around the Journey Church family. What in the world am I supposed to do with my life? Some of you might be asking that very question. What in the world am I supposed to do with my life? And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul gives you, me, and all of us the vocation that will bring us more satisfaction to your life than if you did anything else with your life. Paul says, cultivate the skill of sniffing out the burdens of others and give yourself fully to making others load lighter by being there with and for them. Try that on for a vocation sometime. You'll be more satisfied than if you did anything else with your whole life. And here's the amazing and very cool thing about that vocation of sharing and bearing others' burdens. You can have any job in the world and you can get that done. It doesn't matter what job is paying your bills. You can do it from any occupational setting, any time, any place, anywhere. Sniff out others' burdens and lighten them. Share them. Help them carry them. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ, Paul says. And that law of Christ bit is interesting, especially because Paul spends considerable time elsewhere dismissing, abolishing even the law as the Christ follower's guide. But all he's meaning by the law of Christ is very simply just follow Jesus. Just follow 
Jesus. What he means is when we obey the law of Christ, we're submitted to the teaching of Jesus, we're living life under the control and the authority of the Holy Spirit, which means we're more specifically carrying the burdens of other people. We're sharing them with them. And for a whole bunch of us in a church like this, it's very easy and it's very natural for us to come up alongside people and help share a burden like sickness or unemployment, the loss of a loved one or loneliness or rejection. We get that. We're very good at that even as a community. We are the tip of the spear, as they say. Lots and lots of us from around here are very good at that. We're there for people in all those circumstances. But there's another piece to being there and sharing in burdens. For a whole bunch of us, while we might be good at being there in the burdens that we're a victim of, it's very difficult for us to talk with each other about the burden of sin that's going on in another brother and sister's life and then be about helping them humbly and gently back onto the right path. But see, this deal of sharing in each other's burdens requires that we be about both of those things, which is really just one single thing. Because here's what's true. Attitudes and habits which introduce damage into our relationship with God and other people are way, way more harmful to people than any burden of sickness, unemployment, or the loss of a loved one, loneliness, rejection, etc. Which means that when we are fully and entirely committed to being there and sharing the burdens of others, we'll share in their burdens by talking with them about their sin as well as providing care for them in their darkest hour. We'll talk with them about the sin that has taken them off of the path and we'll be there when the wheels come off, when they're a victim, when tragedy strikes. We'll do both every time. We'll close with a story about a Soviet parachute jumper. Yuri Belinko is his name. And one day at 3,000 very frightening feet above the ground, he realized that he was in very deep trouble. His main chute when he pulled the ripcord had malfunctioned. His reserve chute when he pulled that ripcord had barber pulled around his main chute, rendering them both completely and totally useless. And he is plummeting toward the ground. Terminal velocity, I think they call it. As he was trained to do, he begins to kick his feet to help slow this natural spiral caused by the noisy whipping canopies above him. You get this picture in your head. Belinko had the presence of mind to scream down from about 3,000 feet to the fellow jumpers who were on the ground. This is an absolutely true story. And his jumping buddies realized what was going on, and they immediately sprang into action. They grabbed a packing mat and sprinted to the point where they estimated, guesstimated, that Belinko would make impact with the ground. All the way down, Belinko is screaming and he's yelling and he's tugging furiously at the static lines above his head in a vain attempt to help clear the tangled chutes. Below his friends stretched that chute packing mat as tight as they could. It's made of canvas. Stretched it as tight as they could and waited. 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 And Belinko rocketed directly into the center of that canvas mat at literally bone-crushing speed. It tore the tarp right out of his rescuer's hands, knocked them all to the ground in an enormous cloud of dust. And the dust cleared, Belinko lay in the center of that canvas mat, gasping for breath, wind knocked out of him, and complaining of a sprained ankle. 
Aside from his injured ankle, the only damage he suffered literally was a few bruises. Not bad. And you see, Belinko's jumping buddies, they were there for him at the moment he needed them the most. He certainly had a burden that he was bearing in that moment, and they said, we're going to share this with you. And keep that image in your head, would you please? Keep that image in your head of the parachutist jumping out of an airplane and the chutes are malfunctioning and there you are on the ground with a chance to do something because that's exactly what it looks like for us to be there for each other and tangibly share in each other's burdens. Burdens that we're the victim of and burdens of sin that we choose and decide to step into. We can all be that committed to each other. It just takes us deciding as a church family, as a community, that that is who and what we're going to become. That we're not just going to let our brothers and sisters hit the ground in a cloud of dust. We're going to do what we can to soften the landing. Would you decide today to be that kind of church family and church community to each other? The kind of family who is there. The kind of family who answers the question that we're all asking, will you be there, who answers that question with yes. I'll be there. I'm in. I'm there. Would you take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads, go to prayer. Just listen into the Lord and what he might be saying to you in this time. You can do that now. If I could just ask you to stay in this posture right here. You and the Lord just quietly interacting. Your thoughts directed to Him. Your ear attuned to Him. His whisper. You know, the ultimate example of one who shared in others' burdens is Jesus Christ himself. Just think about it. He came to earth to live. He came to earth to die. He came to earth to take our place, to take our sin, to take our shame, to share in all of that, to bear all of that so that we could live in relationship with God. And could I ask you today very directly, have you made the choice to step across the line of faith in Him and engage and enter into a relationship with Him, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If that's the desire of your heart today, I want to give you a chance to transact that with God right here, right now. I invite you to pray with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes something like this. I want a relationship with you, God. And you don't have to say it aloud. You can just say it in the quietness and the stillness of your heart right there. God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life and please forgive me. And God, as much as I get it, I recognize that Jesus loved me so much. 
that he died on the cross to bear my sin, to bring me back to you, God. And so because of what he did, I turn, I repent. I give up my own path, I give up my own way, and God, I'm going your way. Help me begin that new life in you, God, starting right here, right now. And should you have elected to make that choice right here, right now, that's the biggest deal of your whole life, the biggest decision of your whole existence, literally. And it's such a big deal that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Nobody's looking around this room but me. Nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. If you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, to engage in a personal relationship with him, could I just ask you to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say, yep, I did that right here, right now. Right there. Way to go. Way to go you right over there. Way to go. Life is never the same for either of you. Never the same. Your burdens of sin and guilt and shame and such lifted, gone. On the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Way to go. And then there's this other piece of all of this for us to decide as a community. Are we going to be a burden-sharing community in the true sense of the words? And I'm not going to publicly ask you to declare anything today. I'm just going to ask you as you transact whatever business you need to do in your heart with God to cement some decisions and commitments to Him today, just between you and Him. Just talk to Him about your role in the lives of other people and other people in your life. Talk to them about how you're going to come alongside people and share their burden, whether it be in a time of tragedy or having a restorative conversation about some sin issue. But that you're going to be a true burden bearer, a true burden sharer. And God, we're just in awe of who you are the splendor and the majesty, the glory that we really just can't fathom. And at the same time all of that's true about you, we get it, God, that you sent your son to step out of heaven to share in our burden, the burden of our sin, the burden of our mess that we made the burden of our mess that we make every day, God. You chose it. And we're so grateful to you. We're so grateful to you, God. We pledge to you to live our lives in worship and sacrifice and honor of that kind of gift. And part of that, God, means for us as a community, sharing burdens, just like you ask us to in your word. That we won't just let our brothers and sisters stumble and fall and suffer under the weight of their burden, whether it's a burden they're a victim of or a burden that they choose, some sin that they decide to engage in, God. 
we're going to be there and we're going to help them up and we're going to help them back onto the right path and we're going to encourage them and we're going to love them. All in a humbly and gently kind of way, God. Just the way you interact with us. Just the way you interact with us. Humbly and gently. Go with us, please, God. Anoint that work. The work of us sharing each other's burdens. May we be all about sniffing them out and making others load lighter. And we do it for you because of you, because we love you. Amen.